Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, this show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 224th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Our guest today is Andy Martineau, a mom of six, a reformed yeller, a best-selling author, and the creator of Connect Method Parenting, a breakthrough parenting framework that leverages connection as a primary mechanism for influencing children. Her approach helps parents discover why their kids don't listen and shows them the step-by-step process of regaining influence and building relationships that will last a lifetime. With hands-on experience raising her own children, ages 14 to 23, intensive coursework in developmental psychology, and years of experience in parenting coaching, Andy has been able to help thousands of parents learn the parenting methodology that gets their kids to want to listen. Her goal is to help parents stay calm, confident, and connected no matter what their kids are doing and build strong relationships through every phase and stage. Andy recently published Connect Method Parenting, How to Get Your Kids to Want to Listen to You Without the Yelling, Ultimatums, and Brides. In this episode, Andy talks about parenting is not correcting. Control the controllables. The parenting report card doesn't include your child's behavior. Why Andy Loves D's, F's, and Bombed Tests. How to Connect Consistently and Choose Connection Even When You Want to Yell. Welcome, Andy Martineau. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and talk about parenting with you today. Yes, me too. So the first question I ask my guests is, are you a mom? And if so, what are the ages of your kids? Yes, I am a mom. I have six kids, ages 23 to 15 as of two days ago she just had her birthday so I have six and eight years and it has been such a fun ride and so intense and every (laughs) stage is different you know when they're little it was crazy having six kids eight and under now I'm in this teen adult stage and so every stage tweens it's all so fun wow six kids Woo! yeah and so close together yeah, I thought that was a great idea at the time <laughs> until I had them all. I mean, it's beautiful. I don't have any regrets, but it was different than I thought it was going to be. I think that's the experience with every mom. Don't you think we have this idea of what it's going to be like to be a mom? And then we get there and it's not necessarily bad. It's just different. It's just like, wow, this is what it's going to be like to be a mom. And yeah, that was part of the journey for sure for me. And like uh, similar to you, I had been a therapist for 14 years, marriage and family therapist. And then my daughter turned 12 and I'd done youth ministry for 10 years and teens thought I was the coolest ever. (laughs) And so, oh my gosh, when she was 12 is 
like you said, you know, you're a reformed yeller. I mean, I just lost it with her. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to deal with everything right now from the moment she was born until now. And then we won't have to ever deal with it again. But of course, (laughs) that didn't work. And so that was the thing that prompted me writing my book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Mm -hmm. Conflict and Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter. So I know that you have a similar experience. And so I wanted to ask you, you just wrote a book called Connect Method Parenting. Tell me a little bit about the background of that and why you wrote the book. Yeah, it's a great question. So I've already shared that I have six kids in eight years. Boom, 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 they came. When I was just around the time I had baby number five, I really noticed things started crumbling. (laughs) I was so outnumbered. I stepped away from my career as a nurse to become a full-time mom thinking this was going to be great and started thinking, no, I should pay someone to watch the kids and go back to nursing. That would probably be better for the kids and for me. And there was this moment, well, lots of moments leading up to this, but you know, just lots of chaos and me not being the person I respected. It was almost as if I didn't recognize who I was being because I felt so out of control. Looking back now, I can see how triggered my nervous system was. I was in fight or flight. I had a lot of need for my kids to do well, for me to feel good about how I was doing. And there's not a lot of validation when you have especially young kids. But I shouldn't say that. It's all the way through. I mean, teenagers are going to throw it right back at us too. And if we're looking for validation and our worth and our self-concept is baked into them, forget about it. But there was this moment that I had... I call it the great baby powder blizzard of 2006. And (laughs) (laughs) we lived in Arizona in the desert. And I had had this morning where I was killing it, you know, baby down, folded clothes, dishes done before lunch. I was just, yay, I'm just amazing. And then I remembered, I have other children in this house and they have been very quiet for far too long. So I went to where the playroom was. I figured that's where they were. It was a enclosed two car garage off the kitchen. So it was just the size of a door that I could peek in and see what was actually happening in that room. So I was quiet because when you're a mom of littles, if they're playing happily, you just want them to keep playing. You do not want to interrupt the flow. So I peeked in. They were indeed playing happily, but they had doused the entire room with a Costco-sized bottle of baby powder later to find out also flour was involved. But for me, it was the smell of baby powder and carpet, drawers, electronics, everything (laughs) covered. And I go into default crazy mom mode, yelling, blaming them for how I was feeling, taking away friends and toys and all the lectures and more threats and ultimatums. And my three, he was three or four at the time. He's always been such a happy, fun kid. And I could tell as I walked in, he was beaming, you know, look at this mom. I could tell he was in that moment. And as I began my rant, I could tell in his body language how devastated he was. And there was this miracle moment. I have no other explanation for it other than this beautiful pause that came over me. And I was able to, as I look back, now I can see what happened, but I was able to calm down. My nervous system went back into the parasympathetic and I was able to look in his eyes and acknowledge him and go from thinking, this is terrible. Why would they do this to me? This is going to take hours to... They're not trying to make my life difficult. They're just kids trying to have fun. This doesn't necessarily need to take all day long to clean up. We can probably do it faster. And I pivoted. We cleaned it up quickly. 
We didn't have a lot of, you know, destroyed relationships. As a result, the day was fine. I didn't have to use consequences. I didn't have to use bribes or rewards to try to incentivize them to do that. And as I went to bed that night, and as I evaluated it days later, I thought that is what I've been asking for is to figure out how to do that, how to go from triggered to pausing, how to realize that that's not letting them get away with anything. That's not enabling bad behavior. That's just meeting them where they are and moving forward. And I needed to, in my intense type A personality, I needed to figure it out, deconstruct it, find the science to support it so that I could actually do it in my life. And that became my full-time job at that point. You know, I still had lots of kids. So I did what I could researching, reading, going to any conference, finding any guru I could find and trying to figure out what was it that I did there so I could reproduce it. Hopefully always you know, I wanted to be calm and connected from the get go, but I knew that wasn't possible. So also recovering quickly. And that became the journey of me creating what I now call connect method parenting that's based in developmental psychology and a whole bunch of other things to help get the message out that there is another way we don't have to fuel our parenting with a whole bunch of punitive consequences or incentives that there's a way to fuel it from relationship and from connection. And I know we're on a very similar page with this mindset, but helping people see the reality and the validity of it. And that by doing this, they're not just becoming passive, which is what a lot of people think is like, I'm going to be all connected and all kumbaya with the relationship. And then the kids are going to do whatever they want. You can still set limits. They're actually more effective when you come from a solid relationship. So showing a framework and having these conversations to help people really latch onto this and implement it for real. Well, a couple of things that you said I want to comment on is that feeling of being outnumbered by your kids. Like I had one and that was plenty. But yeah, I think moms of kids who have even three, three, four. Oh, plus. yeah. Two, you're outnumbered. <laughs> if there's not your partner around, you know. Yeah, right. And that outnumbered thing is a thing. It really is. And in my practice, I hear that, you know, and kind of feeling ganged up on and, mm-hmm. and that can just bring so many emotions out of the mom and yeah, that. And then I also wanted to say is the thing that turned me around also at that time was the science. And I'd been a therapist for 14 years and they were just starting to talk a lot about that neuroscience. My daughter is 27 now. Okay. Actually, I mean, she was 12 at the time. So she's 27 now. So it was like, they're just starting to talk about that neuroscience. And I was just starting to listen to Dan Siegel So they hadn't really expanded into kind of the parenting realm. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening. And understanding me getting triggered and going into that, the stress response of fight, flight, freeze. And that's what's happening with our kids and how that creates a pattern and a dance. And I called it the drama dance. (laughs) That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, yeah, create a new dance. So... Mm -hmm. In the first chapter of your book, it's titled Parenting is Not Correcting. That Mm -hmm. may be really confusing for moms who are listening. So can you tell (laughs) us what you mean? Yeah, it is sometimes hard for parents to wrap their brains around what I'm talking about. But let me just start by saying that the reason I'm so bold in what I say is because we have been inundated with correct, 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 correct. And typically that correct is punitive because I don't have actually have a problem with good feedback and good conversations and limits. 
But for a lot of us, correction is synonymous with a form of punishment. It's punitive. It's not clean. The person giving it typically has a negative emotion that they're feeling that's fueling that correction. And it's oftentimes, even though we are so well-intended, just because of the society we've been raised in, it's oftentimes saying, I need you, child, to change so that I feel better about myself. And so I really wanted to be bold and say, hey, parenting is not about correction. It's about setting up an environment where our children can thrive. It's about the relationship. It's about trust. It's about so many other elements. It's not a behavior management position. Now, we are going to have to help them navigate. They're immature and they need limits and they need boundaries and they need our help in so many ways. But I think when we take that job description and we lower where correction is and I say, hey, what if it's not even about that at all? What if correction isn't even part of the conversation? It's about helping and guiding and doing what serves them, which might look like taking a phone away if they're a teen and they're, you know, cross the line there or saying, you know, I think we need to stay home tonight because you seem really stressed after being around all those friends all week. But you're not doing it in a corrective way. You're really doing it from a place of service. And I love how you're saying the drama dance. It's getting out of the drama, the discipline dance and getting into the connection and the relationship dance and really trying to understand what does this child need to fulfill their potential. I was doing research for my second book, Dial Up the Dream, which is for parents of girls who are graduating from high school up to age 25 because of the science. And Mm. I just felt like no book was really focusing on that part. But I sent out something to my social media and I asked them, I said, what would you have done differently now that, you know, your kids are away? And several of them said this in so many words, but one person said it in the exact words that you're saying. And she said, I would spend more time connecting than correcting. Mm, wise woman. <laughs> I agree yes. with Because when they leave, that's what you miss. You miss the connection. But what's interesting, and I know you kind of wrote that in your book, is we kind of see that connection as optional. Like mm-hmm. I would tell my moms that, okay, maybe you're not supposed to be their best friend, but you're not supposed to be their enemy either. Mm, I love know? that. Mm-hmm. So That connection is, as you know, it's so important, but it seems like it's just less important in this culture. Like correcting Mm -hmm. is the real work of a mom and connecting is, you know, if you get to have it, well, that's great. But, you know, you've got to be a mom. Yeah, it's that responsibility. I think that we get confused with what our job is and We want to serve the kids and we think the responsibility is to have them behave a certain way and act a certain way. It is almost as if the relationship or the connection is optional. It's a perk, but not really needed. And I want to say, no, that is the thing you need more than anything else. Because once you have the connection and the trust, then the other things become so much smoother. The, The responsibility or the role of a parent, we get that when we have a baby come into our life or a child come into our life. But the right to parent isn't inherent. We have to really earn. I don't love the word earn, but I can't figure out another way to say it. Maybe you have a better way to say it. But it's almost a right that we earn the privilege of having when our children decide to choose to listen to us, to choose to want to have us in their lives. 
And you don't get that by just harping on them and criticizing them. If we think about it, you know, from our point of view, if we have a friend that just criticizes and is constant, you know, for our betterment to help us, (laughs) we probably aren't going to go to them for a lot of things because it just feels icky to have somebody incessantly finding all of your flaws and telling you all the things they think you should be doing better instead of recognizing the worth of what you're providing right now and helping you and motivating you to want to do better. We want the same thing out of it. It's just two different ways to try to get it. And it's so much more effective Mm -hmm. when that person cares about us and we see them not needing us to do something better, but just wanting us to do something better. Yeah. And I've heard, you know, a lot of moms say things like, well, they'll thank me later. Mm -hmm. But that's actually not true. I think you can damage the relationship with your teen so much that they want to, you know, go across the world to college and they don't want to come home. Yeah. And as a teen, even before they leave, you can create such a tug of war because of that, that the things that they would do, maybe they're really naturally clean person, but because you've asked and been so critical about the room, now they almost refuse to clean the room just out of spite. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you're damaging the relationship and you're definitely losing your impact and influence especially when they become adults, they really have to choose to have you be in their life because you can't force yourself in anymore. They have to make the phone call or answer the phone when you call. So it's so critical. They won't thank you later. I have the same opinion. Yeah. So what do you mean in chapter two when you say control the controllables? Yeah, this is a great topic. So, so often the things we're trying to control are really outside of our control. And that's what we are focused primarily on is what are the kids doing? What are they saying? How are they being? What are they dressing like? What is their hairstyle? You know, all of the things that ultimately they started showing us from the time they were little, little that I know at least mine, I tried to feed them peas. They would just spit those peas out as a tiny baby. You know, they're saying from the minute they're capable, they're saying, you can't control me. If I don't like it, I'm going to make it dang hard for you to get those peas down me. And that's the kind of stuff though, as moms, we fixate on. It's like, I need to fix that instead of what we do have control over is my beliefs about my child, my ability to calm my own nervous system down so that I can come into a situation where they're dysregulated as a regulated, emotionally mature person. I have control over how I spend my time. I have control over how I eat what I eat, what I do, what time I wake up, all of these things that we do have control over, which is a very long list if we actually sit down and look at that list. And if we were to focus on that, we would be more equipped to help our children. But when we focus on the list that we don't have really any control over and we fixate on it, then we show up graspy and out of control and frustrated and overwhelmed. And I am not saying that we don't have preferences and we don't want to encourage our kids to do certain things. But when we really understand, I don't have full control over that. So I'm going to try to impact and influence them. But I need to focus on what I actually can do something about. And that's me. Because I think this way of parenting really starts with us. And then it goes out from there. One of my guests said, we think parenting is an engineering project. Mm -hmm. And I like that because I think Mm -hmm. it feels like the pressure that we're able to kind of engineer the perfect teen. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. laugh about the peas because when I was a little kid, 
I hated those frozen green peas and we always had them. <laughs> yeah, me too. And so, I mean, I would like grab them and I'd drop them on the floor. I'd hide them in my napkin. Yeah, anything to not eat them. <laughs> I'd rather use them as an ice pack. I did not want to ingest them in my body. <laughs> right, they're much better for an ice pack. All right, so this is a big one. You say your parenting report card doesn't include your child's behavior. Now, I feel this is so true for moms and I know this stuff, but it feels true. Like if your kid is not measuring up, it definitely feels like it's your report card about you. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I think the essence of our worth or how we're doing as a parent doesn't have anything to do with our child's behavior. Like the sign of a great parent doesn't have anything to do with our child's behavior, but has to do with our behavior. And so even though it might feel, and it might even be true, there were some things I dropped the ball on and that has contributed to this habit or this behavior. When I can look at it and say, okay, let me be honest. Let me ask myself, how could I have maybe improved and helped my child do better, but not take it personally, because I truly believe that our kids come with their struggles, they come with their certain temperaments, and their nervous systems are wired certain ways, we don't have control over that. And I love being able to consistently inspect ourselves and get curious with how can I improve? And how can I serve? And how can I love better? But also, when we take away the report card of their behavior, meaning how well I'm doing, then we can also honor where they are. And it is a delicate dance because it's not an excuse to not try. And I don't think any parent would do that. But we also don't want to step into being so critical and judgmental of our kids because they're not hitting these standards that we have arbitrarily decided they need to hit because that's not our job either. You know, if we were thinking about it in the form of a gardener, and I think this is a really good comparison because when we go to the nursery and we pick up a plant, that seed has everything inside of it and needs to become whatever it's supposed to become. And if I pick up a daisy and I really want it to be a tulip, it doesn't matter how hard I try, that thing's not going to become a tulip. It's a daisy. And I need to honor the daisy and help the daisy get the right amount of water and sunlight and the right fertilizer and all the conditions for it to thrive. Let me just love that daisy. And it's not more beautiful than the tulip. It's just different. And so I think sometimes we forget that we aren't the creator of our children. They come with everything inside. It's amazing. I don't know how it all happens, but let's just help them thrive and become the best version of themselves instead of this is the standard. And why aren't you going to this school? And why aren't you getting these grades? And why aren't you able to listen better? I mean, they might have ADHD. They might have some anxiety. I don't know, but can we just see them and honor them and respect them for the person they are? And so when we can take away the report card and instead just say, what are the growing instructions for this child? What do they need? Which might be very different than child number two or the neighbor next door. That's beautiful. And our kids can feel the difference mm-hmm. when our focus isn't about some arbitrary standard. It's about helping them specifically. Yes. And I think it's important. And I, I write about this, but I was trained as a marriage and family therapist. And so it's like systems theory. So is how we're all impacted within a system. And so on a bigger system, we are in a culture today, I think that puts so much pressure on us to kind of engineer perfect kids. Then we put that pressure on our kids and it just gets passed down. And I love what you say in terms of that our kids are all different. They're a tulip and a daisy and a rose. So with you, you have six kids. Yes, they're all different. <laughs> yes. 
how do you know what to give each kid? Yeah, it's a lot of intentional heart searching time of really considering what each child needs and taking away any comparison between them. It's a work kind of like a scientist. I feel like it's kind of like that where I am trying my hardest to really study what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What learning disabilities do they have? What social anxieties do they have? What emotional strengths or weaknesses are they you know, showing me so that I can best serve them? And I've done a lot of journaling. I've done a lot of thinking about each one because what's fascinating is what I need to give space for, maybe emotionally for one child, another child that wouldn't serve them, that they, they need a totally different way of me helping them navigate a difficult situation or a challenging situation. And so it's about truly becoming the master gardener, I think, of these children and saying, okay, you need a lot of sun. You need no sun. It burns you up, you know? And I think also with the kids, I've tried to have the conversation with them so that they know that I'm not being inconsistent because they can sense it. Sometimes they're like, well, why does that person get that rule or that you didn't handle it the same way you did with me? And so we've had conversations that have helped them understand, you know, that this is part of humans. We're all different. And so it's not me being easier on them or harder on you. It's about truly what's serving them. And I think when they hear that, they also can apply that to other people in their lives, which is my hope that as they go out into the world, that they're also not comparing other people and saying, well, they're better because they're more emotionally mature right now. And they're more emotionally immature. And I would even say, no, just because someone's crying more doesn't mean they're necessarily more emotionally mature or immature. They might actually be more emotionally mature and let's not judge people on the exterior. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an art. I think parenting is. Well, and I love your metaphor of being a master gardener. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really true. And I have a family that I've been seeing. So there's like three kids Mm -hmm. and two of the kids don't need much instruction about social media because they're pretty extroverted and they spend time with their friends and they're active and they're out and they're doing things. But one of them, you know, is a boy who loves to game and the parents are struggling, which is understandably about, do we do the same discipline for every one Mm. of them? Yeah. Like you're saying, it depends on the person. Yeah. What they need. We just need different things. And if they're a gamer, there's different things that you're going to want to put in place to serve him, just like what you're saying. And the other kids don't need it. So it can feel like you're not being consistent, but that's not it at all. And I think the kids will get it, you know, in that situation, if you've talked to the other two kids, you're like, it's okay that we have different standards. And I think it's, I think it's also challenging for parents who said, well, in my first three kids, it just went smoothly. It was just fine. And this fourth kid. Yeah. It's fascinating, right? Too. It's, if we can just understand and have compassion, like each of my kids are doing the best they can do with their nervous system, with their disposition, with the way things went today, and really trying to meet them where they're at instead of like you're saying, label, this one's the difficult one. Those are the easy ones. It's not that simple. Yeah. yeah. And it's so important to not label the kid, the bad kid. That's like family therapy 101, you know, is <laughs> that kids are labeled or people and family members are labeled these things that, you know, one's the scapegoat, one's this, one's that, that puts you in a box. And it's mm-hmm. so much better to have the metaphor of maybe you have a cactus, but it's a beautiful <laughs> cactus. 
and it happens flowers during part of the year. Yeah, yeah, the saguaro cactus are gorgeous. They are. They're so gorgeous. So in your fourth chapter, the subtitle says, Why I Love These Fs and Bomb Tests. (laughs) So that's not a usual response for parents. So tell us why. Yeah, there's a couple of reasons that I love my kids to have a lot of variety of experiences. As far as specifically grades, what I love is if they get a D or an F, that tells me one of two things. Either they're not trying at all, and we can talk about it and have a beautiful conversation, and I want to understand what's going on for them and not judge them for it because they have a reason. And it might not be what I want them to stick with, but I want to understand the reason. If there is something we can problem solve around it, I want to be in on that conversation. So they always are telling me about the grades they get, and I love all of it. And if they are getting a DNF because they're just really being pushed, I want to applaud them that they are trying really hard if that's really the case. If this class is just so challenging that the very best you can do is a D, then good information. We might need to change classes, but thank you for trying your hardest, which is so good. I think those letter grades, the way we do our education, it is what it is, but I love taking away the stigma of a D is a bad thing. You know, a D is mm-hmm. just a D. It's just information. What is it telling me? If I can take away the shame of it, then we can actually get somewhere in the conversation with my kids. If they know from the get-go, mom is going to punish me when she gets a D, we are not going to have a conversation around that at all. And this goes the same way with even just having experiences around the house. Like I want them to experience what it's like to be lazy. I know that's really hard for us because we're like (laughs) lazy. That sounds like a terrible idea. But my 16-year-old is with a family friend right now and she's just kind of helping out for the summer. They have many, many children. They needed an extra hand. So she's there right now. And my friend and I were talking and she said, your daughter was telling me about how she had this opportunity to let her be lazy for a few weeks and she hated it. And she's like, I will never do that again. That was so terrible. Everything was so messy. I think there's a scene in, is it Little Women, where they send away all the servants or whatever and they just let the house go to shambles and they realized how valuable work is because they were allowed to experience what happens when you don't work. And so these experiences we can get our kids, they might be very challenging for us to see because I think our brain wants to say, well, if I let them be lazy or if I let them get a D, that's just going to be their new normal. But Mm -hmm. if your relationship is strong and there's an open line of communication and they know what our standards are, I mean, we don't have our house in shambles and we don't just not try at school. Learning is an important part of our values as a family. So we have these family values. Our kids know them. But sometimes they need to experience a little bit of a stretch in what is typically allowed so they can say, hey, I don't like that. When I don't try hard at school and I get a D, I don't like the way that feels. That doesn't feel productive to me. I'm going to choose not to do it again. Or when I let my room, like it's such a disaster. I thought it was going to be this really lovely thing. It actually was terrible. I don't actually want to be lazy. So I love trying when it's appropriate, when I'm able to be present and intentional about it. Let my kids have these experiences on the fringes of maybe what I would want to allow so yes. that they can choose for themselves. Yeah. And I think that's good. And I think what's hard for moms, again, is we live in a high stake culture around grades. We see that D and we panic. Mm-hmm. And then again, our nervous systems are set off. And that kid is panicked because in that school culture, they know it's so hard to get into college. I say that sarcastically, but there's only one way or a few schools that would let them in. 
but it feels true. And yeah. so I think another value of your approach is that should be the point. The point is learning. The point is mm-hmm. the connection. So I think for moms, I mean, I think a practical tip is like if you just heard that they bombed the final or a big test is you go out and you just run around the block a few times. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and talk yourself off the cliff and then just have that conversation of like, hey, what's going on? And know that they have shame about it. They're sitting in classrooms. They're aware of every other kid and what they're making. And again, with their black and white thinking, these kids are often thinking I'm stupid. Right. And so you have a real important role to sit with that kid. And like you said, turn that into a win, like what's positive about that and to be able to praise the process, like you were saying. Yeah, it's so fun when you see things as opportunities instead of as <laughs> as a death sentence, you know, <laughs> Well, and our kids feel it. It's like, oh, what a cool opportunity. We get to have this conversation and I get to control my nervous system. <laughs> and one D on a test is not going to probably prevent them from going to the university you want them to go to, but it could be the catalyst for them to have the desire to really thrive in their life. If you can help them not feel like they're not smart, we can take that shame away that they have in society and just help reiterate, that's not the truth. That deed does not mean anything about you. It's just information. Yes. It's not a value statement. It's not. And then that frees them. That frees them up. Yeah. I think the most transformative moments in my life was when I was bracing for being shamed. And -hmm. instead I got grace or like, that's okay. Those moments transform my life. Right. One of my kiddos, she's all my children are amazing. Everyone, all of our children are amazing, (laughs) but you know, they struggle with different things. And she maybe five or six years ago was kind of in an explosive state, you know, where she just would say what she was thinking. And she's, highly emotional. And she got some feedback from people saying she wasn't kind and was mean. And she came home devastated about it. It's that same label, that shame of, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. I'm probably not going to be a nice person. I'm just not a nice person. And as a parent, whether it's the grade, they come home devastated because someone said something to them and that feedback has crushed them. We can hold on to the belief and help them know you said something unkind. That doesn't mean you're an unkind person. We all say unkind things from time to time. We all fail at something from time to time, but doesn't mean you're a failure. And when we can distinguish the behavior from the identity, because they don't always do that, they get it really mixed up really fast. That's a job we can do as a parent to help them know, no, you're a tulip, not a daisy. It doesn't matter. You know, or you made a mistake. That doesn't mean you're a screw up. We -hmm. all do that. And Mm -hmm. so, so good when we can provide that for our children. Yeah. There's always the kid who feels like they're the ones who need to correct other kids. So they're the ones like on the volleyball teams that's telling everyone what they're doing wrong. And then they're surprised that they're not being thanked. So I think as a mom, you have a great opportunity to not shame them for that. Like, you know, your heart's in the right place. You want to be helpful. But, you know, maybe let's think about that. How could you really say that in a way that they could hear you? And maybe why it would be difficult. You know, it's a great teaching moment. Right. But as parents, sometimes we just go, and we panic that we have that kid, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and we feel shame because we think we've labeled our kid and it happens so fast. Oh, my kid is 
that annoying bossy person. And then we feel shame that we have an annoying bossy person. And then we go back to your, you know, that's not really reflective of who you are as a parent, but we feel it. We do. We think that's the truth. That's the report card. And all of a sudden we got an F. Yeah. We got an F today. We got a big old F. (laughs) And all the other parents in the stands see it too. So like they're all giving us Fs. We're giving ourselves an F. You know, it's just so hard. And I I think, you know, just all the moms you're listening out there is I just want to tell you what's normal. And you don't talk about it in carpool. But what's true is most moms feel like they're an F. Right. And it's not true. It's not true. That's what they think. Yeah. We're so hard on ourselves. So critical. Well, we could talk for another hour. I easily. know. It's so fun. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I always love talking to a like-minded person. So what advice can you give the moms listening? What last advice can you give them? Jumping off what you just said, be kind to yourself. This was one of the most difficult lessons I had to learn in the beginning was I really thought I could beat myself up to being better. And it mm. just doesn't work. The more critical we are, the more we trigger our nervous system. We have some stress response, fight, flight, fawn, freeze, whatever it is. It's not going to help us problem solve. It's going to keep us stuck. Now I'm believing this terrible story I have about myself. And when I first realized, and I remember the moment it happened, I said to someone, I was telling her all the things I was doing to be a better mom. And she said, you could try being gentle with yourself. And I thought... (laughs) No, no, that's not an option. That's never going to work. You just try it out and see what happens. And I was really perplexed by even the audacity to think that that would be a viable solution. It felt irresponsible. It didn't feel like it was going to lead me to a path of betterment and more kindness and compassion. But as soon as I finally tried the other path and kept hitting my head against the wall and thought, well, I guess we'll give this gentleness a, a try. I was able to relax and I wasn't so critical of myself. And this is what I find with the moms I work with is once they can get to that acceptance and kindness and compassion, and then they're able to drop into curiosity, which that's where so much of our learning can take place. Mm -hmm. I think it's Nelson Mandela. I'm not going to get the quote right exactly, but he says something to the effect of, I never fail. I only learn or grow. It's pretty much like that, but it might be slightly different. But I love the intent of the quote of the failure only comes when I don't learn and grow. So literally, I can mess up every day. But if I'm looking at it with curiosity and compassion, I'm not triggering myself because I'm so mean to myself, then I can learn and I can see, okay, what worked? What didn't work? What am I going to do better tomorrow? And those are the three questions that are just simple, yet my go-to almost every time I'm evaluating a situation is give myself calm down, be kind, what worked, what didn't work, what am I going to do differently? And with the curiosity and almost neutrality of a scientist, I can look at it from a step away, you know, think about my thinking, look from a watcher perspective, and find the components to help me make the next step. So acceptance is the doorway to change, not criticalness. So just like we don't want to be correcting our kids with this critical, you know, picking them apart or being unkind to them, it starts by us doing it to ourselves. And so we do that to ourselves, that correction, beat yourself up. So start connecting with yourself and be kind to yourself. And it's going to improve your own relationship with yourself and help you become the parent you want to be. So that's what I'd leave everybody with is start by being kind. 
it actually is your superpower. It's the catalyst to change. That is so awesome. And I loved specifically about you saying that we can't be curious until we're kind to ourselves. Yeah. Because we're defensive. That's really, really good. Yes. All right. So, so many helpful things we've talked about. How can moms learn more about you and where can they find your book? My book's on Amazon and Audible. So you can listen or read depending on what you prefer. My resources are connectmethodparenting.com or Instagram's my name. And I'll send you a couple of links too, because I have a free course if you want to put it in the show notes where people can just go through. It's about an hour long and just get the overview of what Connect Method Parenting is all about and how they can start implementing it in their life. So I'll share that with you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was such a fun conversation about one of my favorite topics ever. (laughs) (laughs) Connection-based parenting. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.